Hi guys, Lauren here. In today's episode, I chat with book agent turned published author Rena Rossner about her debut novel, The Sisters of the Winter Wood. This book was inspired by European fairy tales and is combined with personal family history from the early 1900s, which took place with the Jews that were settled in Eastern Europe near the Ukraine. She weaves history and magic beautifully in this lyrical tale of two sisters who are struggling to find themselves and understand their magic. We discuss all of this and much more in today's episode. This is the Ink Feather Podcast. Hi, Rena. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm so glad that you wanted to squeeze this in. It is a Jewish holiday this weekend, and uh, Rena was willing to squeeze in some time to talk with us about her book. It's coming out this Tuesday. It's called The Sisters of the Winter Wood. It is incredible. It is Eastern European storytelling mixed in with history, mixed in with fantasy. It there's so much going on in this book. It's beautifully written. I'm I, I absolutely am captivated and loving this book. Can you, in your words, kind of give the the pitch for maybe those who are listening who haven't read it? Sure. Um, the Sisters of the Winterwood is a fairy tale retelling of Christina Rossetti's Goblin Market poem set in the Shtetl of Dubasari, which was on the border of Moldova and Ukraine. Um, where my mother's father's family came from. And it's a story of two sisters, one who could turn into a swan and the other who can turn into a bear. And what happens when their parents go away and strange things start to happen in the nearby town. That's without giving too much away. <laughs> that's a really good summary because there's <laughs> there's so much that's happening even in the beginning. But kind of touching on what you said, you said that your family's history is kind of what inspired you in that area of the of the of the world and that time period, what, what can you tell us about that? Like what was inspiring specifically that you wanted to pull into the story? Well, when I first started writing the story, I hadn't said it in that setting at all. I was just writing a fairy tale retelling of Christina Rossetti's Goblin Market. I said it somewhere in France. And when I finished kind of, you know, going through a first draft of the plot, I said to my husband, my story doesn't have a soul. And he was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, go back to sleep, you know? <laughs> and I was like, no, I think I need to put Yiddish into my book. And I, so I was very much inspired by um, uh, Laura Ruby's Bone Gap, um, because she's a lot of Polish in that book. And when I started to try to think like, okay, why doesn't my book have a soul? I was like, well, what is, what is a language that I feel that I can, you know, add? Because I was born in America, my parents were born in America, my grandparents were born in America. My great grandparents came across the boat by Ellis Island when they were little. So I never knew anybody in my family that had an accent. And I never really had connected to that part of my heritage at all. But I do remember my grandmother speaking Yiddish. And so that was kind of where it all began. And I started to look back into different um, aspects of my family history, different genealogies that family members had worked on, none of which I had ever read before, because I didn't really, I just wasn't interested. And then I found this town of Dubasari, and there was a poem online um, in, in the Yusker book, which is a book that is created in many, many towns in the Ukraine and, and Poland and all over Europe um, after the Holocaust. People who grew up in these towns wrote their memories down. Wow. Uh, and a lot of them are available online. A lot of them are available translated into English now. Um, it was often written in Yiddish or in Hebrew originally and, or in other languages. And I started to read the, the one from the town of Dubasari, and there was this poem that someone had written about the fruit orchards down by the river, the cherries, the apples, the pears, the plums. And I started to hear echoes of Goblin Market. Mm. And I said, this, this is, this is my story. And the more I read about Dubasari, the more I realized because in the town, 
So there was a pogrom that was supposed to happen in the town. Um, the Kishinev pogroms are really kind of famous, infamous pogroms that happened um, in 1903. And they sort of started because of the town of Dubasari. Um, the body of a young boy was found drained of blood in the garden of someone, a Jewish man who lived in the town of Dubasari. And as a result, a pogrom happened in the town of Kishinev nearby. And the next pogrom was supposed to happen in Dubasari. And the Jews of the town surrounded the town and fought back. Wow. When I read that, I said, that's my story because I want to tell a story of Jewish resistance. I want to tell a story about Jewish life and not just about, you know, the horror of a pogrom, but about a town that found it. You know, we don't hear enough of these stories. Um, and so all those things kind of came together. And just so those who are listening who maybe don't know, pogrom is basically a wipeout of the Jews in that area of the time. Yeah, I mean, to- like homes were um, in the Kishinev pogrom. Like 600 homes and businesses were trashed, in, you know, destroyed. Um, I think about 50 people were killed. Hundreds were injured. I mean, it was just an action against, you know, the Jews that often because of the case of what was called a blood libel, that they found somebody who was killed and wanted to blame the Jews for whatever reason because of anti-Semitism, you know, um, and various different. So it was more looting and destruction and sometimes murder. So a real a destruction of just life, really, of like an all on all forms. Yeah. Hearing you talk about the progression of the book, you one of my favorite things about this story is the what seems to me effortlessly, I'm guessing it's not the case, weaving between the history, the Jewish aspect, the religious aspect, the cultural aspects, and this whole other crazy magic stuff. These these girls who have this, these parents who can turn into animals, and they can turn into animals. And then there's these tempting, beautiful men with fruit. And there's all this magic going on that you have mingled in with this beautiful history. And I mean, did it kind of fit together since you, you felt like there's the soul? Or did you really have to work to like match it up I think the hardest part for me when I write um is writing the first draft because my first drafts are absolutely they don't resemble the final product in any way shape or form the hardest part for me is getting the plot down on the page and so once I had the framework of the story of two sisters who lived in a forest and there were these cute guys that came selling fruit peddling fruit in the market and one fell in love with them and the other one sister tried to save each you know the other and Goblin Market and its heart is a story of sisterly love and a story of two sisters who save each other. And all that was there. It was a framework. And so then I just had to start weaving all these different aspects into it. And that's the fun part. That's the part of writing I love. Mm-hmm. Like, give me a skeleton and let me put in the muscles and then the veins and then, you know, the skin. And that's the fun part. So, um, so yes, it was complex, but for me, that's a lot of the fun of it is the layering and of all the different elements. So first I added the Yiddish and then I came back and I said, OK, well, now I want to, you know, add, make the town more creepy. And now I want to make the woods, bring the woods more to life. And so then I go back and do that throughout. And, you know, and it took about eight to ten drafts wow. to get it to the place where I was like, OK, now it's all there. I'm currently working on my next book. <laughs> and that's the biggest challenge right now is I'm in stage one. And and that's just like it's excruciating because I just have to get the plot down on the page and then I can have fun with it. Well, and kind of like what you're saying, too, there's all these the elements are are 
beautifully connected. But man, you made that those woods creepy. Like I've been <laughs> reading, I was reading. So for those of you listening, I actually got an advanced copy of the audiobook, which was an absolute delight. I am an audiobook nut. And it's mostly how I read these days. So to be able to listen to this book, beautifully done. And we were just discussing actually before we started recording here that the narrator, what's her name? Anna? Clemens. Anna Clemens, that's right. She does a beautiful job with the Yiddish and the accents and in, 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 her, in her voice. It's, it's lovely. Um, but, you know, hearing someone tell you about eyes on the back of your head and your hair stands up and you turn around and there's nobody there or you see like fur running away and like these creepy elements in these woods. It was it it. it it made the magic more real because you don't know what's real and what's fantasy, but it's, you know, their reality is magic. So it, it, the, the, the lines were very blurred, but there was a lot of a, a good creep factor in this book. <laughs> that makes me happy. I'm a big fan of, of dark fantasy. Um, and would the place where fantasy and horror meet, mm-hmm. definitely something that I look to represent as an agent. Cause I'm also a literary agent on the side, but it's definitely something that was important for me uh, to be in my book. Um, Clive Barker and like all you know the greats of like that kind of that place where fantasy and horror meet that you know it's not real but it's still scary as all heck well because like uh, there were a couple scenes where they're distracted and then all of a sudden especially the older sister and all of a sudden she's like realizes she's alone in the woods in the dark and it's creepy and she's like freaking out and i mean i don't know anybody who at least sometime in their lives didn't have a, a like a fear or a insecurity about the woods in the, at night so i it was mm-hmm. really well done one of my questions actually and you sort of just touched on it was you know you've been a literary agent for a while and now you're on the other side how was that for you approaching a, writing a story, do you feel like you had more tools or was it almost overwhelming? Like, do you think it helped you? I think that, I mean, I started uh, as a reader and a writer uh, for my whole life, you know, from I've been a, a reader and lover of fantasy from age as, as early as I knew how to read. Um, so um, that came before the literary agenting. I was very lucky to find my current job, which I love more than anything in the world. Um, there's nothing more wonderful than picking up the moment that you get to pick up the phone and make someone's dreams come true. And uh, I am I'm just so, so grateful that I work in this field and that I've been as successful as I've been. But that the writing and reading came first. And so, uh, I mean, I, I see them as kind of going hand in hand. Like, it's very interesting being on the authorial side of things now mm-hmm. um, and finding myself kind of panicking, freaking out and the, the ways that like my authors do. And I have a lot more empathy for them. but I think that they have um one of the things that they my authors I think have expressed to me that they like working with me is because I know what it's like and I know you know I have a lot of empathy for them too and uh this isn't the first novel I wrote as with most people this is like my third or fourth you know full manuscript and uh, I I was out on submission and I queried and I had agents before and I went editorial board and then didn't make it past ed board and a lot of the things that you know uh, authors go through. I, I've been there, and so I think that that's something that I can give my clients is 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 you know living on both sides, knowing what it's like. Yeah, that's actually extremely cool because you know not that not that being in the trenches is fun for anybody, but like you said, really seeing it on both sides and and having that experience to relate back to and and 
you know, now this is cool because you get to experience not only, like you said, the, the nervousness, but now the joy of going into a bookstore and picking up your book and going, oh, my gosh, I made this. This is my thing, you know. I can't wait. <laughs> so I want to talk about the sisters, Liba and Leia. They are, I think, 15 and 17, respectively. Yep. And... Oh, gosh, one is too practical for her own good. One is too wild for her own good. They're opposites in every way in the sense of how they're described, how they how they physically look. One turns into a bear, one turns into a swan. So it's like on, on every aspect. And you write their kind of coming of age experience, their first kind of romantic sexual experiences in an interesting way that they both are making choices that are contrary to what they had been growing, you know, grown up thinking, but then it's what feels feels right to them. What was that like to integrate that with the magic? Because part of the struggle, especially for Liba, the older sister, was, oh, my God, I actually wrote this line down. It made me laugh. Am I attracted to him or do I just want to eat him? And I was like, oh, God, you know, thank God I never had to deal with that because that was the worst. But, you know, talk to me about writing that and bringing those elements in. I like fantasy that, that doesn't just assume. And I tried very hard to kind of be in the uh, in the eyes and ears and in the bodies of these girls, you know, and what would it be like to find out that you are actually a bear? Um, what would it be like to find out that in addition to puberty and all the changes that your body is going through, you're actually a swan and you might have wings. And I think that like to some teens and kids, a lot of the things that their bodies go through are akin to something alien almost. So I don't think it's too far a jump to say that, you know, just like hair starts to grow in places that are unmentionable, that hair could start to grow all over your body, um, you know, and that, you know, so in addition to that, these girls are dealing with you know, all these these animalistic sort of changes and urges. And there there's places in the book where I talk about like, what does it mean to be a beast? And, you know, sometimes a man can be more of a beast than an animal or a woman. Uh, you know, what does it mean to have claws and teeth? And what can you do? What, what do you have the power to do? What do we all have the power to do with, with our bodies and with our abilities? Um, and how can we go beyond what we are? And I really enjoyed exploring all those different elements. And you even have the parents say or her mom specifically when the mom is kind of telling them their history before she goes away for those of you listening who don't um who haven't read it yet it, basically the parents have to go visit a sick relative and so these girls are left alone and even though they're almost adults it's still this crazy stuff and all this stuff's happening to them the animal stuff is happening right as the parents leave so um but the mom basically says i i can't i'm paraphrasing but you know i became what i needed to become i became what i needed to be which is how they and her you know the the history of the family changing into animals they became what they needed to be and i think that that's a i mean on a very obvious level like what we can all we should be able to relate to like you know the power we all have in ourselves even if we don't turn into bears or swans can't fly away but to be able to you know turn into turn into what we want to be or who we can be. I mean, I think I think it's akin to, you know, they talk about people gaining superhuman strength in a moment of adrenaline. Um, you know, they see somebody under a car and suddenly find themselves lifting the car. And I don't mean in a Superman kind of way, in a way that like sometimes we can go beyond what we need to be, you know, even in a very physical way. But also beyond that, pushing ourselves to to do more, to write more, to do something we never thought we could do, you know, in whatever realm it might be. Um and and I think for these girls that love is kind of that same thing. Yeah, they're, they're, their parents go away and all of a sudden they're left on their own. But, you know, they, they live in a very sheltered 
world and a very sheltered community um, mm-hmm. that it's hard for us to imagine, I think, what it was like in 1903, you know, growing up in a little cabin in the woods, not too far from a tiny little town, you know, and all of a sudden all the rules are stripped away because your parents are gone and, you know, you're scared, you're alone in the woods, things are happening, you don't know who to turn to, the people you were supposed to turn to aren't, without being spoilery, also disappear. So I think it's only natural to form attachments to people that you wouldn't expect to form Mm -hmm. that going along with everything else going on in their bodies and and, and all that. So, yeah, I mean, and you have the girls feeling like they are in essence, they're animals too. And you see more of that coming out and, you know, Leia's a little more flighty. And like you said, Libra's a little more grounded and practical and, and, you know, following the rules more and, I don't know. It, it just the dynamic of of their relationship, how they still love each other, but they're both challenging themselves. And and you know, even Liba having a crisis of of personal you know doubt with herself because she's hating what her sister's doing. But she's like, but I'm also not where I want to be, where I should be. So how am I to judge? And and then you know things happen because of that, and she doesn't trust her gut. And yeah, I mean the the dynamic of the girls is is really neat and and how you wove the the animal parts in. I wanted to kind of touch on that a little further too with their kind of have some crisis of faith too, especially Leia, our younger sister. She's even doubting, is there a God and how is God? And, you know, considering that this is a big part of their family identity, cultural identity, this, this questioning of all things that you've believed to be different. I mean, why did you decide to, well, dig in as deep as you did for with her, but even, you know, Liba deals with that too. I think that one of the things that we don't see enough in this book is kind of a young adult slash adult crossover. It's being published as adult fantasy, but I definitely wrote it, you know, with a, a YA audience, teen audience in mind as well. Yeah. I think that like a lot of people who are reading YA, a lot of um, the audience for young adult literature isn't just teenagers, um, very much so, in, in, especially in the realm of fantasy. Yes. And, and definitely, you know, my goal was to kind of write a crossover book. And so and that's definitely where, how it's been received. It's been on just as many YA upcoming fall YA releases lists as it has been on adult lists, which has been fantastic. Yeah, I, I think of it more YA. I mean, I don't because the writing is more adult and more lyrical and feels more what I consider an adult fantasy book but you're right the characters and their struggles are definitely teen angst and YA right in the midst of that right right and it was intentional so but one of the things that I think we don't see tackled enough in young adult literature but also in fantasy literature is religion and um, coming of age story by its nature if you grow up in a world where religion is an important part of your heritage and identity and family then by nature, it is in your teen years that you make important decisions about kind of faith for the rest of your life. Not that it can't be overturned or changed, but having grown up as a teen of faith and seeing um, friends of mine grow up as well and Jewish, Orthodox and also non-Jewish. It's that it's those years, those formative years where you're trying to decide, well, who am I as a person? But religion is a part of that. Who am I as a religious person? What do I believe? Do I believe in God? And and I don't see enough fantasy and young adult literature playing with those things. And it's such a natural thing to me, especially because religion is an amorphous thing. It's a thing of faith. It's Mm -hmm. a thing of magic. It's a belief in some kind of other power and entity out there. 
And I just think it's only natural that that should be explored, you know, both in young adult literature and in fantasy. So it was important to me to, to, to talk about that and to show how so many teens and adults, young adults, older adults struggle with faith and with belief. I don't think it's easy for anybody. I don't think it's easy even for kids who buy it hook, line and sinker. Everybody questions. And we all get to that point. I mean, I definitely found that with myself. I was raised Catholic and went through a whole myriad of different things and to evolve to where my beliefs are now. And you're right. And that's the, you know, when you're questioning everything, when you're challenging everything, you, you, you bring it, you bring it in really well with these girls. Obviously there's a whimsy, there's a longing and, and part of, especially with Leia, part of her wiring as as a swan and that she doesn't even realize that that's what she is but she wants to fly high she wants to fly away she wants to travel and be free of this life that she feels i kind of confined to mm-hmm. and that you're right and it, it led naturally into her kind of questioning well where does where does god fit in with all of this especially when they find out what they are what they are i think we all know that kind of person i think we all know a person like levi and we all know a person like leia you know um everybody has somebody they know who's kind of dizzyingly exhaustingly exuberant and flighty and maybe irresponsible and we kind of you either love them or you don't love them right that kind of person in your life and I'm not Leia. <laughs> Maybe I wish I could be Leia. I'm a lot more like Liba. I'm a lot more grounded, a lot more connected to my family, a lot more the responsible one, a lot more, you know. But I think that we all have both kind of those warring elements within us, the part mm-hmm. of us that wants to just leave it all behind and fly free and the part of us that wants to, you know, be the responsible one and stay with our family and do it the right thing. And, you know, and within both of those roles, I think that both girls kind of come around and find themselves and you know even Leia has her moment where she realizes that that what she's been doing has isn't right but she still needs to find herself I think on my end I'm probably lean more towards the Leia side I'm not necessarily (laughs) flighty but I need to travel to feel complete and Mm. um, I have my family and but it's like they're there I can call them it's I don't need to I don't feel that connection as strongly, even though I'm very close with my family. For me, it's the it's the need to to go and see and be away. And yeah, it's interesting because you're right. We all kind of, you know, there's different ways to fit in with that. And kind of that too, like what animal do you think you'd be? Because you mm-hmm. you infiltrated the animals into the girls' traits, character traits. And it was interesting because I was like, okay, well, they grew up a certain way, not knowing what they were and obviously it was part of their identity was defined by that animal and it made me think what would I be do you know what you would be do you you, I'm assuming you've given this thought well you know the Harry Potter Patronus test told me I was a hedgehog (laughs) 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 and I didn't really identify with that (laughs) so much I've always watched we we live I live in the Middle East I live um, in Jerusalem and there are storks beautiful beautiful storks Mm. that fly above our home, there's uh, the Ella Valley is an area in Israel where like millions and millions of birds come every year to, I think they come to winter here, but they're kind of more and more, you see, you just see them all year. But there's definitely two seasons, like spring and fall, where you see them flying above and like, it'll be like hundreds of massive storks wow. above my house. And I am just so amazed at their largesse and beauty. So I think that I would, I would love to be a bird, but 
but there's a part of me that's always going to be more like a bear. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that there's a little bit of both of those things in me. I definitely would rather be a bear than a hedgehog. <laughs> well, if it makes you feel any better, I got Basset Hound, which I was like, what? That makes no sense. The, the official Pottermore Patronus. But then BuzzFeed did one. And I don't know what their algorithm was, but like they must have been able to read my feed. And they uh -huh. my Patronus through them was an African Grey, which is a parrot that I have. And I'm also used to be a bird trainer. So I was like, yep, take it. I'm an African Grey. And all my friends were like, this must be rigged because it was all these animals that they personally felt connected to. So I'm like, okay, I'm not a basset hound. I'm an African gray, which is really <laughs> funny. I should send you that link. I'd be curious to see you what. You should. I'd be very curious to see. Yeah, it's really a funny. I have a pug. So maybe, maybe I'm really a pug. <laughs> I just did it recently with a friend who's a falconer and she got peregrine falcon and she had just recently reacquired a peregrine falcon. She hasn't had one in years. And it was and... just weird. It was weird how it, it knows, you know? <laughs> so maybe I'm a pug. Maybe you're a pug. I mean, that's like it's like part bear, part hedgehog, right? I guess. It's not maybe spiky in the in the in personality. I don't know. That's really funny. A hedgehog. What a funny thing. So you're working on another book right now. Is there anything you can tell us about that? Sure. It's also a fairy tale you're telling, but a, a much lesser known fairy tale. It's a Romanian fairy tale. When I was little, I grew up on. My mother used to read me the Andrew Lang fairy tale books that have uh, collections of old, old, beautiful, beautiful books that are collections of different uh, fairy tales from all over the world. A, a lot of very UK-focused, but also, um, and this was one of the tales from one of these books. Uh, it's called Boys with Stars. And mm. it's also a tale of sisters, but it's got a lot of complexity to it. And um, the reason I picked Romania as a place I wanted to explore was because my father's family came from Romania. And my grandmother used to like, candles shabbat candles which we light friday night and in, in the closet which is something that spanish and portuguese jews did to hide their identity wow. but my grandmother swear now she swears she never did it she passed away actually about a year ago but um in her dying days we all kept trying to ask her about it and she was like i never lit candles in the closet but my father remembers it very very clearly and so huh. i started to look into that and i'm fascinated by like who were these jews that ended up in romania that might have been from where where would they have been from and why did they do this and and Romania has like really interesting Jewish history dating back to the 12th century, you know, when Hungary was persecuting Jews back then. And Wallachia was declared as its own kind of um, independent state uh, with freedom of religion. And a lot of Jews ended up in Romania because of that. And so like I'm just playing with a lot of interesting elements like that. There's also an amazing Romanian myth um mihai emanescu and i might have just butchered his name is a very famous romanian poet kind of like one of the poet laureates of romania and he has a famous poem he wrote about a man who is a meteor who falls from the sky cool falls in love with a princess and and in romania there's a lot of mythology and folklore about stars and meteors they say that like every soul is a candle is like a star in the sky is like the candle of a soul and like uh, meteors are also dragons in romanian mythology so I'm going in that direction. Wow, that somewhat. sounds really interesting. Even the <laughs> the poem that you quoted, like, has has a lyrical kind of name. I it'll be really interesting to see what what evolves from that. Especially again, I'm assuming it sounds like you're doing the weaving thing with the history and yeah. the the mythology. <laughs> which, hey, I'm telling you, you did it excellently. Ten drafts from now, it'll be something that I can show you. <laughs> Um, one thing you, what you just said actually reminded me of, which I didn't even know because I'm doing the audiobooks, 
but I read that you, when you alternate chapters between the girls, that you actually wrote in a kind of lyrical way with uh, Leia and more traditional with uh, Liba. Was that to kind of influence or feel more like their characters or what were you, what were you thinking with that? When I was writing the book, I originally wrote it all in prose, both voices actually had a couple other voices in there too. <laughs> and when I started trying to figure out when you write in different voices, the biggest challenge as a writer is always to differentiate the voices. How do you make sure that everybody knows that, you know, when they're reading a certain chapter that it's one sister and not the other. Yes. Right. And when I would work, when I would go from one voice to the other, I would hear, you know, this um, Peter and the Wolf uh, soundtrack. It's not really a soundtrack, but like Prokofiev is a yes. composer. Right? So like, dun, 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 dun right? The, and then there's different musical instruments that play the different characters. Like there's the wolf, and then there's the grandfather, and then there's the, the, the bird as the flute, and the duck is, you know, one, one's a French horn and one's a clarinet. And, and so it's kind of what I heard in my head, like, Liba's voice was more plodding and bear-like and Leia's voice was you know like she was a bird she was flighty she was airy and I just realized that I had to write one sister's voice in prose and in one sister's voice in 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 verse and poetry because that was a physical manifestation of what I was hearing in my head Hmm. Uh, and I'm also I was a poet first before I I wrote fiction I studied um, poetry uh, writing in university and so it was, it's kind of important. My language is always poetic. That's the way I write, but it was mm. kind of a fun experiment and a fun thing to be able to do was kind of to write a, I sort of wrote a poetry book that's half prose and half verse. You did. And it's, it, it, you know, it's really neat to hear you really pulled so much of your, of your life and things that you're passionate about and that you love into your, this book. It's, it's really neat to see how it has manifested even in that simple way of writing one of the girls in verse. And again, it, it makes sense. Once I knew that and I was listening, you could hear it in the re- repetitiveness of certain words. And um, yeah, it's, it's very cool. Thank you. I'm glad you could hear it too. <laughs> yeah, I, it was, you know, I, if I hadn't known, I don't know if I would have known, but once I knew I could, I could pick it up. I noticed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you read anything lately or are you just buried in work? Anything good? Ooh, what have I read? I was just reading The Girl with the Glass Feet by Ali Shaw. Um, that was really wonderful. And I've been reading a lot of things that people keep comparing my book to because I'm like, oh, I haven't read that. I should read that. Um, so Eliza Granville's Gretel in the Dark, I was mm. just reading because it was compared to my novel and someone else compared my book to Don Kurtagich's, um and The Trees Crept In, which is really, really scary and spooky. Oh, I've never heard <laughs> uh, of that. So that's what I keep doing. Whenever somebody compares in a review, compares my book to something, I'm like, oh, and I haven't read. I'm like, oh, I have to read that. So yeah, those are my kind of more recent. Oh, and I read this is a fantastic YA novel called Mirage by Samaya Dawood. I hope I did. I've heard really good things about Mirage. Yeah, uh, unbelievable. It's so so good. It's just so lush. The colors and the, the foods and the yeah. Those are a couple of things I've been reading. I'm I'm always reading something. Yeah. That's actually a great. That's a great recommendation list. So we'll have to we'll we'll see if we can connect them in the blog post with this podcast. We'll put some links down so people can check them out. Uh, thank you for chatting with me. This was really great. Thank you so much for having me. I am such a fan of this book. It was so enjoyable to read. It was just delightful and creepy and intricate and 
but beautiful, beautifully written, beautifully, you know, almost like, again, lyrically written, just the writing is, is lovely. But, you know, having said that, you go to some creepy places and some dark places. And it's it, it was really it's, it really blends very well. So um, definitely highly recommending this to people who are into, you know, fairy tale inspired you know, and and with the history element, it's it it made it a very very good read. So, um, thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. All right, guys, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another episode. Bye.